This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, this is Linda Day George, and you're listening to TV Confidential. And Robert's with a reminder that we will play highlights from the celebration of the 40th anniversary of Knott's Landing at the Hollywood Museum that included remarks from Michelle Lee, Joan Van Ark, and Donna Mills. We hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, with us via Skype is Ian Nathan. Ian is the author of Quentin Tarantino, the iconic filmmaker, and his work. An in-depth, informative new book that examines the entirety of Tarantino's career, including his early writing on such screenplays as True Romance and Natural Born Killers, his breakout directorial debut, Reservoir Dogs, the career-defining Pulp Fiction, his later iconic films, Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2, Inglorious Bastards, and Django Unchained, and his epic-length love letter to 1969 Los Angeles, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The book has a visually arresting design that mimics Tarantino's approach to filmmaking, while every page is chock full of photographs taken on the set or behind the scenes. Quentin Tarantino, the iconic filmmaker and his work available through White Lion Publishing, an imprint of the Quarto Group. You can also find Ian's book at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. The Burt Reynolds connection, a couple of things. One is, now I knew that uh, Tarantino almost always writes a role for himself in one of his movies. And at one point he trained, he wanted to be an actor before he realized that he wanted, he really wanted to be a filmmaker, but one of his acting teachers was James Best. Yeah. And I'm sure you know this. Our listeners uh, may recall that when, when we had James Best on a few years ago, James Best was very closely tied with Burt Reynolds, both personally and professionally. Yeah. I mean, I think James Best is, is a pivotal figure. Um, yeah. He was the second acting teacher that Tarantino had. Mm-hmm. And when he was definitely interested in pursuing acting as you know, a career, and obviously, you know, Tarantino isn't movie star in terms of his good, good looks. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't come like Brad Pitt. You know, very few of us do. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, so he approached acting maybe from a point of character acting. And I think James Best, you know, he often said was was very practical in what he said to these, this kind of young group of actors yeah. he was trying to nurse. He said, you know, You've got to think about it as a career. And it was James Best who kind of told him about, you know, think about small jobs. Think about the kind of work that pays your bills, you know. You don't think about you can instantly become Paul Newman. You know, there are very rare opportunities to become a superstar. But there is a good career to be had. And I think Tarantino took a lot from him. And as you say, James Best had a great connections with Burt Reynolds. And I think Burt Reynolds is one of those classic kind of uh, 60s, 70s icons who were pivotal in the kind of movies Tarantino especially liked, you know. We talked about Deliverance, but more than that, I think he loved Smoking the Band. He loved the kind of the kind of figure that Burt Reynolds represented. Uh, you know, it's a shame that they never got to work together. Burt Reynolds 
was due to play a role in Once More Time in Hollywood, but obviously sadly died before he could portray. It's the Bruce Dern role at the Sean Ranch. Um, if you remember, if you know, yes. if you know the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more than that, I think Burnt Reynolds kind of symbolizes a kind of version of Hollywood that I think Tarantino adores, you know, the kind of the wild boy, mm-hmm. um, the guy who make kind of films maybe outside of the mainstream but still do mainstream, you know, the kind of wild comedic dialogue, you know, the guy you can tell stories about, you know, and all Tarantino fundamentally wants to do is tell stories. And he must have a hundred Burt Reynolds stories. You know, the interesting thing of going back to Burt Reynolds and Once Upon a Time, you you mentioned that the Bruce Dern role was originally intended for Burt Reynolds. The, um, you know, this, those listening to us who have seen Once Upon a Time know this. The FBI television series is almost a character in Once Upon a Time in the sense that in 1969, if you were a working actor, if you got a guest star role on a show like the FBI, which was a top 10 show, that was a big, big credit at the time. And so that, and so, uh, and Tarantino knows that, and so he works that into the backstory. But, um, the FBI episode that uh, DiCaprio's character appears in in the movie, that was a Burt Reynolds episode. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah, yeah. And, and the really cool thing is the way Tarantino recreates the footage that Burt Reynolds appears in, only it's DiCaprio, and he cuts it together using the actual footage. It's very seamless. It's just, it's great. Yeah, it's, you know, one of the great joys of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and again, what I said at the beginning makes it so personal, is that, you know, Tarantino grew up watching those shows. And, you know, when I say watching them, you know, he, they were a religious thing for him, you know, and he knows every episode, extraordinary memory. He can remember everything. And he would have absolutely detailed where, you know, Burt Reynolds was, you know, which one he appeared, you know, how he appears, when he appears, you know. And in some senses, you know, it, the film is more about TV actors than it is about movie stars yeah. in Hollywood. It's about, you know, the B-movie level. It's about the TV level. The kind of stuff James Best first told him that it would be his career if he became an actor. Yeah. So I think it's a tribute almost to you know, the other guys. You know, Leonardo DiCaprio, the character he plays within the film, will never become Leonardo DiCaprio in real life, mm-hmm. you know. It will be the kind of B-movie star. He'll have to go off and make spaghetti westerns in Italy, but not even the Sergio Leone ones. It'll have to yeah. be the Corbucci ones. So it's a tribute to the other Hollywood, the, the level of Hollywood where it's guys just getting by, making do, keeping a career going with bit parts on TV series, hoping for the big break, you know. It's kind of um, Tarantino's strong to the other life. He, he's such a kind of... You know, almost a kind of a liberal spirit, a socialist spirit in a sense, a democratic guy, because he, he loves the ordinary guy. Mm-hmm. Even in context, his movies or crime or all those kind of genres he buys in, everyone comes across as kind of ordinary guys just trying to get by, or ordinary girls trying to get by. This is very human strain in his films. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Quentin Tarantino, the iconic filmmaker, and his work available through White Lion Publishing, an imprint of the Quarto Group. You can find Ian's book at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. Uh, you, you mentioned like the other side of Hollywood, so to speak, the life of the working actors who don't achieve the level of fame and superstardom that a DiCaprio or a Burt Reynolds uh, did in at, at the height of their fame. The actors who, who have peaks and a lot of valleys. And that goes to another motif of Tarantino uh, in real life and that we see in his films, Ian, in that he sort of saw himself or became a resurrector of careers. Yes, he did. Um, I don't think at first it was even a conscious decision that you know, he was going to go and do that. Mm-hmm. I think he just thought, you know, these guys were his favourites and they were great for roles. You know, he was as simple as that. So, you know, I suppose the first one we all talk about is John Travolta with Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And Travolta, at that point, his career was really on the skids. He was making Look Who's Talking movies, you know. The great Travolta of the early 70s, the one that you know, Tarantino adored and loved and said to him, said, you were one of the most important American actors of that time. You know, I think he just wanted to cast Travolta, you know, because he loved Travolta. I don't think he saw it particularly as an act of resurrection, which it became. You know, he, he had to fight the battle to keep Travolta. You know, Miramax, the studio behind it, wanted Daniel Day-Lewis. For that part, um, but he said, and rightly, yeah, he needed that aura of, you know, has been within Vincent. You know, he's a bit washed up. And one of the great joys of Pulp Fiction is that it's Travolta, but a bit disheveled. You know, he's a bit overweight. Yeah. He's not the guy he was, but he's still beautiful and you know, a movie star like that's still kind of in him, yeah. which is the kind of ingredient I think Tarantino saw. And once that had been such a success, and obviously, you know, became a huge hit, and Travolta, yeah, his career was renewed, I think that became, in Tarantino's head, something of a theme. You know, not that he had with every film to somehow draw someone from the past and reinvigorate the career, but just to have that idea that when he cast films, everyone was available to him, and he wanted baggage. So when he cast Pam Greer, who had been this great black exploitation star in the mm-hmm. 70s, mm-hmm. cast her in Jackie Brown. He said he wanted that baggage. He wanted that memory of her to have, you know, for those who knew they came in with it, they would think, hey, you know, she, she was that, that groovy chick from the past with Robert Forster as well. It was just that idea of, you know, you would bring a bit of the, the, the kind of real world in with you. And as you watch the films, you would kind of watch it with half a, half a thought on the idea that, I know who that is. And that thought would add something to the enjoyment of the film. It's a brilliant way of casting. And he's a brilliant caster. You know, beyond his abilities of writing and storyline and, and all the things he's so good at and he's celebrated for, Tarantino casts perfectly. You go back and look at those films and think, 
there's no one else who could play the Travolta part. You know, there's no one else who could play the Michael Madsen part in Reservoir Dogs. He's just fixed. Somehow he's just intuitive and he knows who to cast. You you mentioned Once Upon a Time. You described Once Upon a Time as a hangout movie. It's a, it's a movie about characters that you want to hang out with. I think Tarantino said the same about Jackie Brown. Yes. Yeah, I think that in some ways they're companion films in his in his oeuvre. You know, they are films in which, for a lot of the time, it doesn't seem as if there's any plot going on at all. Yeah. You know, there are things going on, and, you know, day by day, things passing, and you're getting a bit of people having lunch and chatting, and, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is sort of bemoaning his lack of success in his career, and he, he's been rather neglectful of uh, his great friend and sort of work companion, Brad Pitt. But really, nothing very dramatic is going on. And I think that's exactly how Tarantino wants it. It's leisurely. It's a hangout movie. You're just kind of enjoying hanging out with these guys and, you know, the, the kind of the cool way in which it's shot and the lovely kind of 60s texture. But he is, there is a lot of plot actually going on. It may be going on quite slowly, but it's slowly kind of coming into shape. And the beautiful part in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I don't want to give too much away for those who haven't seen it yet, the kind of gear change happens when... Brad Pitt's character picks up the hitchhiker, who's part of, you know, Charlie's gang. Uh-huh. And she's, you know, she's all flirtatious with him and it's all fun and, you know, but she asks him to take him to the ranch. And that's exactly the point where the kind of plot kicks in. Uh-huh. And suddenly there's this extraordinary kind of gear change within the film. Yeah. I mean, all from this kind of sunshine film just about this kind of has-been actor that's all kind of quite cool and leisurely and, and kind of uh, fun to something that ultimately suddenly full of dread. You know, when you go to that ranch, it's almost like it's a horror movie. You yeah. know, you're filled with a kind of an air of kind of worry and, and it's so well handled. Yeah. And there are a couple of moments in Once Upon a Time where you think you know what's going to happen next and then he surprises you. And that's good filmmaking. Yes. Uh, and one of the great... Brilliant. One of the great talents I think he's always had is, you know, certainly the first few films, we were never quite sure what was going to happen in his films because he was so unexpected in how he approached them, you know. Mm-hmm. We were never sure, yeah, the whole ending of Pulp Fiction when Bruce Willis' character collides with Ving Rhames and you think, what is going on? You know, <laughs> you know involving the gimp and all sorts of deliverance-related things, you know. And I think one of the, the difficulties he's had over his career is we kind of caught up with him. Because when he became so popular and so successful, it was like we got Tarantino-esque and we started to expect it. You know, we were predicting what he was going to do. We were waiting for his kind of, you know, jinking story where he would play around with time and chapters and things would run in different order. But we were kind of ready for it. So I think, you know, he's been very good at uh, almost at certain times just standing back from himself. And Hateful Eight, which I enjoy very much, sort of steps back and is a bit more organized as a plot. Hollywood, you know, is so leisurely and so laid back. It's almost Tarantino satirizing Tarantino. He's going, well, you want all those kind of groovy things where I mess around with you and I, I play around with time. Well, hey, we're just going to hang out. It's not even got, you know... I love the dialogue in it, but it's not the same kind of dialogue that's in Pulp Fiction. It's not all pop, you know, pop cultural references. It's not all hip phrasing. It's kind of just guys just kind of chatting. 
So in some ways, Once Time in Hollywood is um, almost a new kind of Tarantino, a mature Tarantino, if you want. Ian, it's, we've been talking about Once Upon a Time as a hangout uh, movie. We've been talking about Jackie Brown as a hangout movie. It's been great fun to hang out with you. Uh, this you. afternoon via Skype, uh, uh, what do you, I mean, we, we mentioned some of the publications that you currently write for as you cover the motion picture industry. Do you have any other book projects uh, uh, in the yeah. work that you're at liberty to tell us? I, I, can, I, I recently uh, finished a book on an editing stage on Ridley Scott, Ooh. the you know, brilliant visualist, the uh-huh. Blade Runner and Alien, and a big favorite of mine, and, and a diff- very different subject to Quentin Tarantino, but an equally fascinating one. And I'm currently working on a book about Wes Anderson, who is also another very particular kind of director with a very particular style, different to Tarantino. But, you know, I, I love movies and I, I love writing about movies. So, you know, these are great journeys to go on. You know, you go into the minutiae of those careers. It's kind of fascinating and wonderful to kind of work out where the films come from in terms of the person. And you, you not only capture the person, uh, you know, behind the filmmaker as you do with Tarantino, but uh, unless we forget, Ian's book is a very visually arresting book. It's 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 almost Tarantino-esque in execution because it's very visual. It is in your face, and yet every photograph, every every bit of the layout serves the the entire narrative. Well, thank you. It, it worked very hard. There's a whole production team behind me who I should say, you know, do a great job. You know, I can't take all the credit for that. But, I mean, it's, movies are a visual medium, and you want to look at beautiful movie stars, and you want to be reminded of why you love those movies. Ian Nathan is the author of Quentin Tarantino, the iconic filmmaker, and his work. An in-depth, informative new book that examines the entirety of Tarantino's career. Quentin Tarantino, the iconic filmmaker, and his work available through White Lion Publishing, an imprint of the Quarto Group. You can also find Ian's book at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. Ian, it's been a great pleasure to chat with you. Please visit us again on TV Confidential. Be a pleasure. Thank you. We'll bring you special remote coverage from the Hollywood Museum next on TV Confidential. We are the real Brady Brady Bros. Brady Brothers from the TV show Brady Bunch. I'm Barry Williams. And I'm Christopher Knight. I played Greg. And uh, who were you again? I played Peter. We've decided that we're going to do a podcast around episodes of the Brady Bunch. We're going to use it as a prism to look back to our experience doing the show and why the Brady Bunch is still popular. Have a sunshine day. We are the real Brady Bros. Attention timeshare owners. This is an urgent consumer alert from the Timeshare Exit Hotline, a national company specializing in helping consumers legally get out of their expensive timeshare contract. Our experienced partners are offering you a way to legally get rid of your timeshare. You'll never pay another timeshare maintenance bill again, and all your obligations will be terminated. You can begin saving today. Even if you've tried another company to get rid of your timeshare, call and see if we can help you. At the Timeshare Exit Hotline, we only accept payment after an agreement has been made to get you out of your timeshare. Make this complimentary free call and learn how our honest partners can help anyone, anywhere legally get out of their timeshare nightmare. 800-715-6093-800-715-6093-800-715-6093-800-715-6093. That's 800-715-6093. 
beyond a sphere, and you're staying up all night or day with TV Confidential. Buying or selling a home can be one of the most stressful things we'll ever do in life, but it doesn't have to be. And no one knows better than our friends at Front Porch Realty Group. Their community of realtors serving the Northern Bay Area of California that cares about their clients as individuals first and foremost. Whether you're a first-time buyer or looking to lease or sell your property in the Bay Area, Front Porch Realty Group will help you through this important transition by providing you with the right information for your situation while lessening the pain. They also work with a network of realtors throughout California who provide the same high caliber of customer service. Call Front Porch Realty Group at 415-886-7411 for a realtor referral near you. You can also visit their website, frontporchrealtygroup.com, for more information on the services they provide, including upcoming workshops and seminars. For more information, call 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com. Front Porch Realty Group. They'll find the solution that works best for you. Uber is the mobile app that connects you with a driver for immediate transportation. Request a ride at the tap of a button and you have a driver curbside in minutes. You can choose to be driven in a black car, SUV, or you can choose UberX, the low-cost Uber for a ride in a hybrid or mid-range car. Payment is seamless and cashless. Build to your card on file with no need to tip. Enter the promo code TVCONFIDENTIAL after you download the app to receive a free first ride up to $20. For more information, go to get.uber.com forward slash go forward slash TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk tvconfidential.net talk at tvconfidential.net you can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential x.com forward slash tvconfidential or at tvconfidential on instagram and if you're listening to us on the tv confidential podcast please be sure to hit the subscribe button this portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.